somebody in there was just kind of fluffing their little peacock feathers, you know, just, just, ugh. Are you listening? Damn. Welcome, welcome. This is We Built an Empire. I'm your host, Kyle Wolf, coming at you with yet another solo episode. Uh, we had to stop a second ago. I don't know what is going on in our building, uh, but it's sunny outside with little to no wind, and it sounded like a fucking freight train was coming through. So I'm thinking maybe upstairs they are like, I don't know what they're doing, dude. Moving a refrigerator, maybe a washer and dryer. It was, I mean, it was why it was for like 30 minutes. And I'm like, I just got the studio set up, but I'm like, oh God, what the hell is this? But hey, at least we don't have the, uh, we're, uh, we're on an opposite day of the diner next door being open. So we don't have to listen to, uh, pots and pans being clean. So cheers. <laughs> oh man. I, uh, I was thinking about something. This morning, this morning, kind of, you know, what can I talk about? What can I do? It just, it just struck me. I'm, I'm through, I'm going through a drive up coffee window. And I know you guys have experienced this. I just want to, I want to just test the water to see if everybody else is just like scratching their heads, just like doing the, the, the dog thing. Like what, what, what we do, what are we doing here? And, uh, you know, I order a dark coffee, a little bit of honey. Okay, sounds good. Give me give me your card. Here's the card. And then they stick the computer out the window. And I'm like, I mean, this isn't the first time and it's been happening, but to this morning it just it just hit me. I mean, this is 30 seconds of where I didn't order anything hard. It was a cup of coffee. It's drip brew. They press this, they put the lid on it. They hand you a packet of honey and it's basically self-serve at this point. Here you are. Thank you. The first thing I see on the screen is a tip window. And and the thing of it is, it's like 15, 20, 25 or other percent tip. Like before I even know what the total is, what do you want to tip? I'm like, what? Well, I mean, okay. Like if I go into a gas station and I get a soda or if I go, uh, you know, to, to pay for a thing of laundry detergent at the grocery store, I don't have to tip. I'm buying something. I'm buying it. I'm walking away with it. Like, I just, that, that little screen is, is just been killing me lately. And it's everywhere. Every, every like fast food or like a drive up, um, or even, even at some of these like kind of new cutting edge restaurants, like they're coming up with a tablet and they're like right in front of you. Like, here's your car. Boom. Here you go. Like, and that man, it starts to give you like the jitters. Like, oh, okay. All right. All right. For starters, if I don't tip, which I did appreciate the service and the food was really good or whatever the case scenario is. But if I don't tip, then I'm the asshole. <laughs> and if I don't tip enough, then I'm an even larger asshole. But really, I don't want to tip that much because like, I don't want to pay extra because, you know, I'd like to keep some of the money that I earned. <laughs> so it's just, it's just strange. It's like, I think it does something to you in your brain when they go, boom, right in front of you. Like, what are you going to tip? You know, what are you tipping? Are you doing, are you a 10% kind of guy? Huh? Are you, are you, are you big baller? Are you 20, you know, or are you 25? Oh, you, oh, you're going to do other. 
all right, let's see what this is. Zero, zero percent. What if, what if we did that? You know, and I, I'm not saying like at a restaurant, if somebody is waiting on you and that's their job, they're getting paid. I don't even know if, if wait staff makes minimum wage anymore. Like I have no idea. I think they make under that because it's anticipated that they are going to get tips. So that kind of service, you know, if it, if it's good, it's fast, it's speedy, it's fun, it's interactive and you're, you're having a great time and it's an experience. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Like, Hey, I appreciate you going above and beyond. Like you could have come up here and been like, what's your drink? What's your food? Here you go. Enjoy. You need some napkins. Here's some napkins. Like that could be the transaction, but if it's above and beyond that, absolutely. Like, thank you so much. Like, thank you kindly for just being pleasant and like, you know, making this an experience that was enjoyable for me, for you, for my kids, my wife, my friends, whoever. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something that is like rapid fire quick. Boom, 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 boom. We're getting coffee. Boom. We're getting donuts. Boom. We're like, why, why all of a sudden out of the pandemic, did we switch it and go, what do you want to tip first before we even tell you what your total is? Like that, that shit is bothering me. Like I, I don't like tipping in that manner. And there's certain things that I don't feel like we should be able to do, like not be able to, you could always tip somebody, but I feel like there's certain types of transactions where you shouldn't be expected to tip, you know, like, I'm sorry, but going up to a coffee, even if you walk inside and you're like, I want to drip coffee. Okay. What are you going to tip? Like, I'm just, I'm just buying the coffee. Like, you know, you guys are getting paid your, your wage. You're getting paid per hour to sit here to do this. Like, I don't, I don't understand it. Like, I don't disagree with tipping, but there's just certain things that in my brain, it's like, ah, this is so crazy, you know? And, and like, I, I get it. I mean, I've heard people, you know, be like, well, they used to, you know, tip before, you know, to ensure prompt service. That's what tips. And well, it doesn't for one, but yeah, like back in the 1800s, like it, it was actually considered a bribe of any type. If you were to pay before you got your service. So people started doing that to bribe the wait staff or bribe the chef or the cook or whoever to give them better service than somebody else in the room. If they had enough money above and beyond what they could barely pay for, they would be like, I want better service. And it was kind of a show of strength, right? It was some, you know, some, somebody in there that was just kind of fluffing their little peacock feathers, you know, just, just, ugh. and so, yeah, they would pay more. Right. And, and they would get that sometimes. Right. But it was, it was kind of considered taboo. It was almost, I don't know if it was illegal, but it was like, yo, here's, here's an extra five, you know, when, when the whole meal is going to be three, you know, here's an extra five, make sure that my stuff comes out first, better. And you stay here at this table longer to make sure that we have the experience that these other people over here can't all these pores over here. Right. And so that, that's a, that's a completely different mentality altogether, but as we all know, in modern society, you go to a restaurant primarily and you, you get service, sometimes good, sometimes bad, sometimes horrific to where you never go back to that place again. And sometimes you tip good. Sometimes you tip standard. Sometimes you're just a guy that's like, I'm, yeah, I don't tip. And like that, that's always awkward. Cause I'm like, damn, like, like these, these people just like gave us service and I know they're not making money, you know? They're making less than minimum wage, I believe, for the most part, because we're expected to tip and they're going to get that. And whether it's on a, you know, on a credit card anymore or cash, like, and so if you don't tip them and it's like, man, they just, 
they just waited on you for 15 minutes, half an hour, maybe an hour, depending on the restaurant. And they just made $3.50. Like that, that hurts. So I, I disbelieve in that wholeheartedly. But this new like digital, digital thing where, and it's before, that's what I just don't get. You know, I want them to be like, I give me the option. Give me the option after. Okay, I agree to pay $7.50 for a cup of coffee or whatever it is. Do you want a tip? I don't know. If you were enjoyable, maybe. If I came in here and you made this experience more more pleasurable, but if it's just like a swap of hands, cash for goods, no. I mean, th- there shouldn't be an expectation to tip beyond what you're paying for the product. You know, that coffee it costs you 15 cents to prepare that out the door. The margins on coffee are like 40%. You know, so it's like you don't go to a pizza place it costs you $1.81 to make a large cheese pizza. They sell that for $14. They're making their margins. You, you don't have to tip. You might tip the pizza delivery guy because he saved you an inconvenience. He saved you time and money and gas to go get this pizza. He brought it to you. He's giving it to you hot, warm, and ready. Here you are, sir. Thank you for your order. You know, that, that is different. You could tip the pizza delivery guy. But to just go into a store, get something, walk out. It's like, are we going to be hit here shortly at Walmart buying a bag of dog food? What are you tipping? What am I? What, this is fucking self-checkout. What do you mean, what am I tipping? I'm not tipping anything. But it's like, that, that's how I feel like it's getting ridiculous. You go, you go anywhere, what are you tipping? You got an oil change today, what are you tipping? Uh, nothing, because it was $182. What are you talking about? I'm not tipping you. This is your job. You get paid for it. That oh, shit is killing me. I don't understand it, and I cannot explain where we are going in this trajectory. It's it's just, <laughs> I don't get it. Oh, my God, I do not get it. Man, it's just crazy. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know about this whole tipping thing. So we, uh, we, we, had, we had soccer. Had soccer the other day. We had a practice. Uh, the kid was pretty sick, so we couldn't make the games. But, you know, it's just kind of crazy. Like, I, I know I talk about my children, but they're, they're my life. They, they, are, they are my whole life. And if, if I had some way to not work and to only be in their presence, I would, I would absolutely do it. I mean, I just, I enjoy it. And like, Every, every stage of life is always just so great. You know, you have a baby, it's like, it's so new to you. And, and if you've had a child, you understand exactly what I'm talking about, but it's so new and you just, you're just enjoying every little moment of it. But like there's there, we were just talking, like my son was deathly ill, like in front of the toilet, he put, he has a little drum seat that he, you know, in front of his drums. And so he just puts that in front of the toilet. He's like, dad, just leave me alone. And I'm like, you know, you as a parent, like, Hey buddy, you okay. You want you need something, you want some soups, some Sprite. He's just like, leave me alone. I just, I got to do this. And I'm like, oh, that kills you. That destroys you because you, you can't fix the problem as a parent. But my wife and I were talking about this the other day. And it's like, we remember when they're two and they're three and they're sick to death. And you just, you want to fix it. You want to solve it. You're like, it's my job to just fix you and to make you feel better. And you feel so helpless as an adult because this little bitty thing can't even describe or tell you what's happening, what hurts. You know, it's like my son had been laying on his, on the pillow on his ear and he got up. He's like, Oh, my ear hurts. I'm like, okay, we'll just get it. You know, but I thought about a two-year-old, they'd be like pointing at their head 
you know, and I'm like, oh my God, we just went from uh, a chest cough to throwing out. Now we got an ear infection. What's we'd be rushing to the ER. And so these different stages of life, you know, these kids are growing and they're, they're their own person. So different. There's little similarities between, you know, between my wife and I and each one of them, but they are their own little bundle of just, just, I don't know. It's just, it just blows me away to watch them kind of just go through these stages of life. And it really, it makes you smile. If you can just get out of your head for a second and just like, I love when I'm driving. Like I feel like we, we, we have soccer, we have gymnastics, travel, travel, soccer, travel, gymnastics. And so we're constantly running. We're constantly moving. We're not like any other parents in the world. Like, see you guys at dinner. Okay. Boom. We go here and here and we come back and meet. But every once in a while you get them in the car and you're just driving and like, they're having a conversation to themselves back there or between each other. And you're just like, you're kind of just peering into their world. You're not eavesdropping, but you're just, it just puts a freaking smile on your face. Like so big to be like, man, these, these are little people, you know, and they're good people and they're growing. And, uh, regardless of whether I feel like an underpaid chauffeur at times, which I kind of feel like being a soccer mom or a soccer dad is, or, you know, a gymnastics mom or gymnastics, you, you're, uh, you, you, you're putting some miles on your car, <laughs> regardless of what you do. And so you do feel like a, an underpaid chauffeur, but, uh, man, I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for the world, you know? And, and it was funny. My, I, I had reached out to a friend of mine, uh, from back in Louisiana the other day. And it, cause my son Jonah was just, he was asking about certain things like, Hey, you know, dad, like, you know, what, wh- what was your address when you grew up? You know? And I told him, I was like, Oh, you know, we start looking it up and you know, it was a little, little place. It was obviously in West Monroe, but it was at that, at that time, it was, uh, it was still kind of, it was a bigger subdivision, older subdivision. My parents bought it, you know, I don't know when the house was built, but either way they, they bought it in the, the early eighties. And so, uh, 302 East Ironwood is where I grew up. And, uh, yeah. And so I pull it up on Zillow and, and I had seen it over the years, like just, just out of curiosity, like, Oh, you know, it's sold or it's this, and I'm showing Jonah pictures and uh, he's like, oh, like that place is tiny. <laughs> I'm like, look at it. I'm like, man, it is, it is tiny. Holy shit. It was, it was a little bitty house. And, uh, but man, when we were kids, like I didn't think it was tiny, you know, it was just like, it just is what it was. And it was where we lived. And, you know, we had a backyard and my buddy's house was identical because it was a track home, you know, it was an eighties track home where it was, you know a little bit more room, probably quarter acre lots or something like that. But yeah, it was just crazy. Like he, he just brought that up and was like, that's little. And like, you start to think like, man, this, this is little, like it always has been little, but as a child, it just seems like massive. Like it's bigger than you. And, and, uh, you know, you don't know any difference over what you, what you have, you know, it's just like, this is just is what it is. This is where we live. This is where we grow. And you know, but it started taking us on this rabbit hole. And, you know, I'm always telling them these stories about growing up and I've said it before, you know, like I was, I was a pretty latchkey kid, you know, uh, after my father left. And, and so we were, uh, and, and I'll say this, sorry, you know, I, I shouldn't say this. I'm not, I'm not trying to speak ill. So my, my, my father and my mother did get a divorce. Uh, they got back together three and a half years later. They're still together. They live somewhere in Florida. So no shade on that. I'm not trying to really kind of harp on that, but when my father left, we stayed in the house that I grew up in and uh, my mom was able to keep it. She was working. So it was my brother and I, and this was when I was 10 and a half, almost 11 years old. 
And so I was a very much a latchkey kid. And I'm, I'm, we just, we got me and my buddies, you know, we had bikes and we had this and, and we just always were kind of getting into some shit. Like it wasn't like troublemaking. It wasn't, you know, robbing or stealing, but we were always just doing crazy stuff, you know? And there was this place, we called it the cow pasture. And, uh, and it was that it was just a big open field that backed to our subdivision. And we would sneak out there and, you know, it was, we were by no means were we supposed to be out there because at, we didn't know it, but they had these, these three, uh, cell phone or radio towers. Right. And they were the, you know, red and white, red and white, like segments. And at the very top, they had these huge like beacons and, you know, like we're, uh, we were always just doing crazy shit. We were daring each other to do this or that. And I'm telling them stories and, uh, you know, like I tell them this story, like, you know, one time I got dared to like climb to the top of this radio tower and knock the cover off the light. And so I did it and it was wild. And so he knew this story. Like I had told it to him probably a year ago and he's like, well, where, where's the tower dad? And I'm like, all right, cool. So I go over and I kind of pinpoint it, you know, and I'm like, man, he could just see like the infill. Like this was a, and again, we were kids, but it was a big, big pasture. I don't know how many acres at that time it was, but it was massive. Like on a four where they would take you 15 minutes to drive from one side to, to the other, you know, granted you're on trails and stuff. It was a big section of acreage and there was nothing there, but now that infill is just kind of come in. So there's still sections around this radio tower that that's active out there. And we get on Google and, you know, we're checking it out. I'm like, boom. And so I start like using the Google map to kind of show him this thing. And he's like, holy cow. I'm like, I'm putting it into perspective. And he's like, I can't believe you did that. I'm like, yeah, me neither. Now that I'm thinking about it, like <laughs> this was, this was fucking idiotic, you know, but you know, I just, it got me thinking that night after we put the kids to bed, just all the, all the crazy little nuances that we would do as kids. And, you know, so I started like, you know, um, checking out things that I remember, you know, we moved up to Colorado in 1998. And so I've only been back to West Monroe one time with this band that I was in years ago. And so I haven't seen it. And so I'm, I'm hitting my buddy up on messenger that still is there. And he's like, Oh yeah, still the same, same areas. He's like, but the growth, man, the growth is just crazy. He's like, you, you would not recognize this place, Kyle. It is not the place we grew up in. He's like, it is just wild, you know? But anyways, I started going down memory lane and checking out the places. And, and, uh, I remembered cause my, my buddy just hit me up here. And, uh, last year for my birthday, we, uh, we, we flew up some crawfish, um, from uh, Louisiana crawfish company and, and shout out Louisiana crawfish company poof, knocked it out of the park. You know, uh, you know, we don't have any affiliation with them at all, but man, they did a bang up job. I mean, like you order it, we wanted it on a weekend. So it was a little bit more money. You order it, you overnight it, they send it to you. It's live crawfish in a, in a, in an ice cooler, you know, and I ordered two bags. I forget how many pounds, but you know, and so they send you with all the spices and everything. And I've got a, a you know, my, so my, my son's best friend his parents are also from Louisiana. And so we invited them over. I'm like, we're going to do a crawfish boil. You know, it's going to be amazing. And so we got shrimp from here. We got andouille from here. And uh, we just, we did it upright. But man, Louisiana Crawfish Company, their website's killer. They've always got deals. Um, their shipping is excellent. Their customer service is excellent. Like shout out. But anyways, we, so we, we flew this up. We did this whole shebang last year and it was, it went off without a hitch, man. We ate all this crawfish and we, we filled up the table, classic Louisiana style, boom, dig in. Everything's here. Everybody's just hands in. Some people are grossed out like we're just past COVID, but I'm like, whatever, this is crawfish season, baby. So 
it went off so well that my friend this year, he, he wants to do one. And he's like, what was that company? I'm like, I was this. And, you know, so he's like, all right, we could do it. And he's like, I just want to have a big party. And uh, he's like, who do you, who do you recommend use? I said, I'll just, just use this company again, man. Like they were, they were so great last year. Let's do it again. And so I think we're, we're, we're trying to do it um, because the spices, the flavor, everything is just different. It, it's like a Louisiana style crawfish boil and nothing against anybody up here that says they have a crawfish boil, you know, but you don't, you do not. It's it, the flavor is so far off. It's not even funny. Uh, the crawfish are pre-frozen. They're jumped in, you know, it, it's just, it's not the same. I mean, you could still do it. It still tastes good. It's fine. But if you want to do a crawfish boil, reach out and they got a bunch of videos like Louisiana crawfish boil or Louisiana crawfish company has it down. They've got videos to show you if you've never done it yourself. Um, if you have any questions, reach out, man. I mean, I'll, you know, we'll, we'll go through it. Like it, it's awesome. I highly recommend it. So he's going to do it, but it got me, it got me thinking, you know, just like I said, like the, the style of food in Louisiana is so much different than other places. And I don't know if I've talked about this before, but it's just the, I miss a lot of times the flavor of food down there. Like the South, Southwest definitely has flavor, right? Especially like if you, you want to talk about like Mexican food, you know, or things of that nature, like this area, like Durango especially is, is a huge like foodie area. We have world-class restaurants, world-class breweries. Um, we've got some wine tasting rooms. Like it's, we have fabulous restaurants, but when it comes to flavor, it's just kind of like this, like just mixing them, right? You can go here, you can get a little bit of that, but like Louisiana there, they have a style. They have a specific flavor to Cajun cuisine. And it's, you just don't get it other places. They, there's, there's an attempt to it for sure, but it's just not the same. And, uh, you know, so it just got me kind of going down memory lane. And I started thinking about this place that was, uh, in the last episode I talked to, I talked about the sports complex, uh, Beedenhorn sports complex, which was a big baseball facility. There's probably, I don't know, 12 or maybe 15, uh, baseball diamonds. And so they're kind of all situated, but either way, like just, just, I guess it'd be just West of there was this restaurant. Any, anybody from, from my age demographic that's still in West Monroe or maybe even, maybe even, I wouldn't, maybe not like Shreveport, but like maybe like Ruston, people in Ruston might, might know it. People in West Monroe probably know it, but I, I would love to know if it's still there, but it was a, it was a place called the Shinny Shack. And it was like this dump hole in the wall, but they would run this special night and you could go in. I think it was on Fridays. You'd go in and I don't think it, it can't, there's no way that it can be this inexpensive, but you would go in and get a burger, fries, a pound of crawfish and a drink for $5 for five bucks. And it was so much food, but man, I mean, they had it, they had it right. They had the hopper live crawfish. You'd order it and they would do it. I mean, right there on the spot, you're freaking crawfish just crying. They're being boiled, you know, and come out, boom, dump the, dump the thing either in the big tray that they'd give you. Here's a pound or they just dump it on the table. And it was, man, that place was so good, dude. I remember like that was above all, my, my, like my grandmother always like every birthday dude. my grandmother, she was the sweetest person I've ever met in my whole life. She was, she was so amazing. And she would, every single birthday, she'd always take me to Outback and, uh, you know, the, the Outback was kind of new there in, uh, in, in West Monroe, you know, we'd go there and we'd get the shrimp on the Barbie or whatever the, you know, and I don't, I never go to Outback anymore because it's just, it's whatever. It's just a big chain, but 
back then it was, you know, she loved it and it was kind of just our thing, you know, but then like, that is not the kind of food or the, I remember the situation, but I couldn't tell you like that anything ever just jumped off the table at me and was like, this was so good at Outback. But like, oddly enough, and I would, I would have to attest that it's probably due to the experience, but the shinny shack, like, man, the shinny shack, dude, that place was just crazy. So seriously, if anybody from West Monroe or like maybe Ruston or that kind of area, like just shoot me, shoot me a message. Let me know if the shinny shack is still open because man, as a kid, it was just, oh, I loved it. I loved it. Loved it. Loved it so much. It was just, man, it was amazing, dude. Yeah. Like, but the, yeah, the food down there is just crazy. Uh, going, going back to my, uh, uh, my, my, my son's best friend's parents, they, they made some gumbo, um, and it was Halloween. I think it was during Halloween. They made some gumbo and like, man, she knocked it out of the park and, and, and Louisiana style gumbo is not for everybody. Right. But when you understand the process of how to make a roux in the manner that you can see it when it comes from like from gen- generational teaching of how to properly make a roux from great grandparents to grandparents to parents to you. And that's what you do. Like literally standing over a stove and like slow stirring it and making sure that it is the perfect consistency. It had, you know, like I had it, you know, I had a bowl and I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> this is like being back in the hot seat in Louisiana, just like having that perfect bowl of gumbo you know, and the cornbread and, and my wife had it. She was like, it's okay. This is, you know, so it, it's different. Like where you're raised, like what you, what you're raised on and what you like and kind of what you dislike. And it just doesn't, you know, some people don't, it doesn't hit their palate the way it does. But I, I wonder though, too, if that's, if that's based on experiences, you know, if you had a good experience with a really good bowl of gumbo, it's like, it's like hearing a good song at a certain moment in your life when you're having like the best time you're on a boat and you're just, I hear this song. Oh my God, this is the epitome, dude. This is the epitome. You know, it's like if I hear hotel California on a boat, it takes me back to a specific moment in time when, so my neighbors growing up. So Maggie and Dean, their son was my best friend. Uh, His name was Drew. And you know, we didn't have boats growing up or nothing like that, but they had a boat, they had a fishing boat and we, we would go out all, it was like every weekend I would go with them to Washita river and we go tubing or kneeboarding. Kneeboarding was like the hot thing at that time. And every time do we get on there, you know, his stepdad Dean would be, he'd be blasting it. And like hotel California came on one time. And I remember we were out there all day on the beach and it was like, I mean, sunscreen was, was, was popular. Right? It was People knew of it. I mean, we heard about it, but we wouldn't use it a lot or maybe as recommended, you know, we put it on the morning and that was it, dude. And so we were just like baked and just, oh God, I want to go back. So we'd have to drive back and, uh, you know, wait on Dean and like, man, we, we would be cruising and just like slow rolling back, back to the launch ramp and he'd just be blasting Hotel California. And like, when I think of a, specific boat song for me like the maiden voyage of my boat before we sold it when we had it that was a song we listened to and it was just i didn't even want to do anything i just wanted to play that song on the open water and take me back to that specific moment in time 
And, you know, it never takes you back there fully. But that, anyways, getting, getting to my point is I wonder that, yes, if you're brought up on a certain style of food, that's just kind of comes to be what, what you like or what you're, uh, what you've experienced or what you've had. Right. But I also wonder that if, if you enjoying food has another sense of your surroundings and the environment, you know, if it feels good to you, if it takes you back to a moment in time, it, it may change or alter the way that you're tasting that food. Like when I had that bowl of gumbo the other day, I mean, it was, yeah, every, every bit of it, man. Like that took me back. You know, my, my dad had this friend when we were growing up, he was crazy. He was crazy, but he was a good Southern dude. His name was Richard Bradley. And, uh, this guy was fucking wild to say the least, man. Biker, big, you know, not, not a big guy, but a big, a big lively attitude, braggadocious, you know, hunter, a fisher. If you talk to him, he was the best hunter, the best fisher. He was a damn good cook though. That's the thing. And it took me back to this moment and I'll never forget this, that crazy son of a bitch. So, the, so in Louisiana, the, the, like a lot of people squirrel hunt and a lot of people eat squirrels. And so he asked me to go stir the gumbo pot one time and I open up the lid and I'm probably, I don't know, maybe 10, maybe nine, something like that. I'm stirring it. And I just see this like skull of a squirrel float to the top. Now we weren't actually eating squirrel in the gumbo, but he was playing a trick on me. And I'll never forget that. Cause it's like all of my dad's friends, you know, at that time drinking and having a fucking hoorah time. They're just laughing hysterically at the fact that this skull in this gumbo pot just literally made my stomach cringe. And I was like, what the fuck are we doing? Yeah. So, but there were other times where we had gumbo at Richard's house and he was an excellent cook. And so when I had that gumbo up here during Halloween, it took me back to that moment of just being like, man, this was like, I hadn't had gumbo in years, 15 years, not that style of gumbo. You know, you can make gumbo up here and you have it. And it's just, but when, when the roux is properly done and cared for and looked after and just, you just sit there and stir it for hours you can taste the difference. It's just way, way, way better. You know, so I, I do wonder if if maybe there's another uh, sensory, you know, perspective out there is when you're eating something that you haven't had in a long time, if it has a good memory or, or, or something that kind of pulls you into it to, to gravitate to, do you like it more because that's happening versus you just liking that style of food, right? Like I, I think about the first time I had sushi, was crazy. So um, there's a couple of really good sushi spots here in town, but we went to this one at the time called East East by Southwest. I had never been. My buddies take me, and uh, at that time they just you just order they ordered a boat, and it's just literally a wooden platter that looks similar to a boat, and it's got you know it's got tons of it's like a big sampler plate. It's like 50 pieces you know of nigiri. It's 50 you know of of like rolls, and you've got this and calamari. And so we ate so much. But I remember like walking out of there and being like almost, almost lethargic or not, I wouldn't say, mate, lethargic's probably the wrong word. Like I felt high. I felt like I was having an actual outer body experience and we hadn't had any alcohol, like none. We were just eating sushi, no sake, no, nothing like that. We were sober when we went in and we were sober when we were leaving. And I remember just being like, whoa, like. I don't know if it was the amount of raw fish or what it was, 
But it was like, I had to ask them, I was like, did you, you guys feel like this the first time you had it? And they were like, yeah, wild, right? So every time I have sushi and I love sushi, my wife loves sushi. My kids love sushi. You know, we went to sushi last night and it's just one of those things. It's like every time I, I'm like hoping, I'm like, oh man, is it going to be that? And it never has been that again, ever. Um, but that's the moment in time that every single time I have sushi, you know, and, and the second time the sushi is a very personal situation for that. That was the moment that I knew no matter what, no matter what had happened, I barely knew my wife, but I took her out for her birthday to sushi. We were not dating. She took a random chance to go out on a date with me. And after that date, it was without question. I knew that I was going to marry her. I knew it. You know, we weren't dating. We'd never kissed, but I, I immediately was like texting at the time, you know, old, old, old school flip phone, like seven, 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 five, four, 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 two, 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 zero, 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 back, 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 shoot, uh, trying to text like, Hey, I can't wait till we can do this again. And the rest is history. We're, we're 16 years later. So every time we have sushi, it's like a special thing for her. But getting back to my comments is, I think that food is more than just the way that it tastes. I think it has a difference. It has an element of you like it because of your surroundings. You like it because of a memory, you know? You like it maybe for a reason that you you don't want to admit to yourself, you know? Like I I was thinking about this the other day and oddly enough I still like mashed potatoes. But there was a there was a lot of time growing up like after my dad left like I you know, we even my mom was a single mother. She had two children to raise a house payment, things like that. She didn't make insane amounts of money at her job. And so we would have, you know, we'd have like Kool-Aid at the house, we'd have Pop-Tarts, we'd have cereal, and we always had instant mashed potatoes and white bread. And so for lunch, if my brother wanted something, like, well, we've got breakfast stuff or we've got this and it's kind of a quick, quick lunch, right? So we would make literally instant mashed potatoes with butter and white bread toast with butter. And that was oftentimes our lunch. And I think about how many times we ate that. I should, I should hate mashed potatoes. I should absolutely hate mashed potatoes. But in a weird way, maybe this is a, a bit esoteric, but I think that that reminds me of that time that me and my brother experienced, you know? Because I don't overly like the flavor of mashed potatoes. Like, I don't overly like... The fact that you're putting mush into your mouth and like, yeah, they have some garlic and some butter and they, they get, you know, they, they do their job. They fill the void. But for me, I, I, I think that there's something more. I mean, because if you, you put yourself in that situation, like this sucks, you know, my mom is not making enough money. So we have to have for lunch instant mashed potatoes today, bud, you know? Um, but it's strange that I still actually enjoy and I don't eat mashed potatoes every day. That's ridiculous. But when I do have them, I'm always kind of like, all right, yeah, mashed potatoes, you know? And I, I have to think that's, I have to think that it's because of that time that I shared with my brother and my brother and I, you know, we, we, we are close, you know, we don't see each other. We live in two separate towns. I mean, just shamefully to say we're less than 20 miles apart, but 
we also owned a company. We worked together every single day, um, you know, for a couple of years. So it's like, you know, it's, we do have a great relationship. We talk all the time. We're in, in each other's lives. And so I think that that little scenario, instant mashed potatoes, reminds me of him, you know, reminds me that all we had at that moment was each other. You know, my dad was out of the picture. My mom was working nonstop. She was trying to figure out her life with, without my dad in the picture. And we were, we were kids, you know, we didn't have an adult there watching us and monitoring us. And we, maybe we didn't have anywhere to go or do, but it was like, that was that moment built our relationship. Like that, that little weird moment, instant mashed potatoes and white bread built my relationship with my brother. And I just thinking going down this rabbit hole that my, my son kind of got me on the other day, like looking at food and, Oh man, like I miss the food. I miss that, that vibe. I, I miss it. It got me thinking like, there's gotta be something a little, a little more to it, you know? So it's like, I, I, the, the weird thing is, is like, I don't really have anything that I, that I cook. Like, I mean, I, I can, I can, I do, I do enjoy cooking. Um, and when I do cook, it's, it's kind of like, I, I almost like opening up the fridge. I mean, I, I enjoy having a meal ready, you know, like we're going to do steaks or we're doing this. So we're doing, you know, asparagus wrapped with, uh, with, uh, oh my God, that tiny little meat. What is that shit called? What is that called? Go. I don't know, but it's super, super thin and you wrap the asparagus and you deep, you're not deep fried, but you pan fried. Super, super good. But anyway, I like having that like pre-thought out because then it gives me something to prepare. But there's also other times, you know, and I'm pretty sure that my wife and kids can attest to this where it's like, what are we doing for dinner? Like, I don't know. Let's see what we have. Open up the fridge, open up the cupboard, figure it all out. And then all of a sudden you just make this magic. And it's like, this is pretty damn good. We should put this on the list of, yeah, let's do something like this again in the future. But I don't have any like food that I cook from, you know, heritage that I'm trying to pass down to my kids. And I don't know if that's good or bad. I mean, you know, they like certain things. They dislike certain things. They know what they don't want. They do know what they do like. And I don't think it's bad to maybe not be handing that stuff down. I just, I, I'm thinking about that. I'm like, all right, well, I've never made a gumbo for my kids, you know, like a proper gumbo. So they're not going to have this. I mean, not, not, not saying that they're not going to have it, but it's like the chances are, it's like it, those memories that I have with gumbo, they're not going to be, you know, had in the same manner, you know, that, that, I have it with. And so it's just, it's kind of strange. I started thinking about that the other day and it's, uh, yeah, it's weird. It's weird that this episode started out talking about how much, you know, I'm really aggravated with the tipping scenario and all of a sudden leading to me talking about my love for food. <laughs> it's kind of weird, man. Oh, it's kind of weird. It's, uh, yeah. I don't know if you guys like food, you know, that much. And sometimes, sometimes I like it. Sometimes I, Hate it, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just I feel like um, specific types of food that I wanna I wanna make sure my kids get the opportunity to experience. You know, like they they really like the Cajun boil. They liked that. You know, and it's like, uh, if you haven't done it, man, I, I hate to go back to it, but it's like you're you're getting dirty and your fingers are covered in sauce and you you, you know your cuticles are burning because you got that spicy crawfish. Oh, god. Oh, I want crawfish right now. I really, really, really want to do that. 
I can't wait for my buddy to order that shit. So yeah, shout out again to uh, Louisiana Crawfish Company, man. You guys knocked it out of the park. Like, can't recommend them enough. Um, yeah, if you haven't had it, man, get on their website. They got a ton of videos to show you exactly how to cook it. If you're scared to do it, it's so simple. Like literally all you need, the, the one thing that most people don't have that you need is a, is a boiler, right? A big pot with a boiler below it. You can rent it from any true value in the country. Like don't think that you can't do it. It's just hot water. And then everything else you buy comes with the package. Like, man, I highly recommend it. Do not sell yourself self short thinking that you can't do it. Cause it's, oh my God, I'm going to fucking crawfish right now. So bad. So, all right, ladies and gentlemen, that's it for today. Wish you guys well. Uh, get out there and give somebody a damn hug. Bye. Have you ever felt? Are you listening? Damn. Uh. Yeah.